Let me encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. So give us your testimony. Well, my testimony is I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with with girls that do, okay? Have you ever had somebody basically tell you that? Now, they usually don't use that when you say, give us your testimony, but maybe some of you grew up in a church or you were taught that Christianity was basically that. It's what you don't do. It's that you don't smoke, you don't drink, the women wear only dresses and not pants, Uh, you know, you don't go to what they used to call the Hollywood cinema, unless it's a Christian movie and the acting's really bad, then you can go, okay? There are those that basically teach that Christianity is a bunch of don'ts. What we don't do. That's our identity. That's how you can know us. And yet, how far short of the gospel that falls. What slavery that is when you begin and you make your identity what I don't do. Now here's going to be your quiz. Here's going to be your challenge. I'm going to read to you from this fifth chapter of Ephesians. And I want you to answer in your mind why this does not support that kind of a view of Christianity. Okay? In other words, there's going to be some things that he says you ought not to be. But I want you, as I read this, to ask yourself, well, that seems to support that, that kind of a view of Christianity. What What is it that takes it out of that realm? And it's right here. I'll tell you that. That makes it so that it shows that that falls short of what Paul is calling uh, the people of Ephesus to and what we are called to. Ephesians 5, the first verse. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but Instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, 
that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. But because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you open our hearts to you in these moments? Will you teach us? Use the inspired, inerrant, authoritative words that you gave to the Apostle Paul that you protected so that they are indeed truth. And will you imprint that truth upon our hearts and give us ears to hear you. And then hearts desiring to respond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what makes the difference here? Why is, why is this passage where he, he tells the uh, Ephesians, don't do this, you can't do that anymore, quit doing that, what makes this different than our identity being in what we don't do? Take a look at how he begins. Therefore, verse 1, be imitators of God. And here's the key. As beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, Paul is going to expand on that first statement uh, to, to mimic or to imitate God. How are we to do that? He says to live a life of love as Christ did. Now, he uses this, this phrase, a fragrant offering. Now, think about in the Old Testament the kind of offerings that were going on even up until the time of Jesus. There were uh, offerings that would take place for sin. What would happen? And an animal would be killed. Its blood shed. In many of the offerings, it was then burnt up. That's not a fragrant thing. None of that process is fragrant. I don't want you to think, uh, oh, grilling meat, you know, that smells good. Don't think in those terms. That's not what it was. It was burnt up. 
It was awful. It would never be described as fragrant. And no offering until Christ's offering, which was from a human perspective also an ugly thing, crucifixion, him on the cross. And yet, to God, that was the fragrant offering. It smelled good to him. Why? Because it was the final one. It was once and for all. It made it so more offerings were not necessary. It provided forgiveness for the sins of his people. Those who had come before, those who were alive then, and those of us who would come afterwards. And so it was fragrant. So how is this not when he begins to do the commands, which we're going to look at in a moment, how is this not just a, a bunch of negative? I have often told you, and we've looked at this a lot in, in Ephesians, how we don't begin with the imperative. We don't begin with the command to do or not to do. But instead, what the Scripture does is it begins with the indicative, with who we are. So Christianity is not saying, okay, you come in here, get your life together, and then you can become a child of God. That's not, that's not the gospel. That is not true Christianity. But instead, Christianity begins with who we are in Christ what he has done for us and what that has made us. And so in this first verse, even though it starts out by saying, therefore be imitators of God, what comes before that? As beloved children. And that's it right there. That's the key. What he's saying is this. Because you are children and because you are beloved, that's who you are. That's the indicative. Because that's your identity, then what do we do? Well, then we become imitators of God. So that's how our identity or the indicative comes first. And then the imperatives. So how are we to act then? Here, here's the basic point. As we walk through this world we will either be a sweet smell because we reflect God as we imitate him or we'll be the smell of death and destruction. And Paul says we ought to be that sweet smell in this world. But he addresses the folks in Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus, and as, as we began last week, and it will continue in two weeks, not next week, basically he's saying, look, you're, you're believers, you're children of the living God, but you're living, you're acting like you're still in darkness. 
practically a continuation of what we talked about last week, except he raises the stakes in chapter 5. Look what he goes on to say. He begins, uh, verse 3, says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Okay, let's just say it, what the word is. That word um, for sexual immorality is pornea. And that is where we get the, the word for pornography. But Paul is not just dealing with, uh, you know, worried about them looking at, at images or, or, or pictures or anything like that. Paul is talking about sexual relationships outside of the right context. The right context, according to the Word of God, is one man and one woman in the context of marriage. That's it. I don't think that this uh, uh, sexual immorality is listed first because it's the most serious. It is serious. But I think it may be listed first because it has the, the most uh, profound and harmful effects on individuals and on society. Now, I want to note right here that Paul doesn't just say, don't do those things. But what he's going to do is he is going to give a beautiful picture later in this chapter. Now, when I say later in this chapter, for us, that means in May, okay? But if you were reading through this as, as a letter, as it was meant to be read, it was a moment later. So keep that in mind. Sometimes we, we you know, break this up so much it's, it's hard to follow. But just it, momentarily, right after he says, these things are like you're living in darkness, he's about to give the, the beauty of marriage in its right context. And we're going to spend several weeks uh, looking at that. What, what marriage in the new community looked like as opposed to uh, what was going on in the world then and to a great degree what's going on in our world right now. So then he goes on and he talks about impurity, but sexual immorality and all impurity. And that almost looks like uh, it's, it's a repeat of the same thing. Uh, and I would say that, in, that sexual immorality is included in the impurity, but the impurity goes a step further in terms of the uh, defiling practices that they're talking about. Remember when we started in uh, looking at this book, we looked at what, Eph what was going on in Ephesus. And what we saw was a completely pagan society. They openly approved of uh, such practices as, as prostitution and homosexuality. It was not only tolerated, it was embraced. 
You had the, in Athens, the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was built with prophets that were gained from the brothels of the day. That was religion for them. Paul is basically saying here, look, that which is acceptable all around you, you people of Ephesus, and he's speaking to us as well, that which is acceptable all around you, that which you maybe you grew up with, which seemed acceptable, is not acceptable in the new community. It's different here among us. We are different, and here's why, and then he will go into to marriage. Now, we're going to talk in a minute also about, so, so how do we deal with people that are into those things? What should be our, our attitude? Hold on to that for a minute. Because he goes on and then he talks about covetousness. Sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And you might say, covetousness, come on, how does that even get in that list? Well, that he calls covetousness, which is idolatry, he said. Here he's talking about uh, a greed. It's not about how much money you have or you don't have. It's about what he said elsewhere over in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You see what he's saying is that that, that love of money, he calls covetousness here, causes us to become an idolater. And you're going to serve somebody or something, but you can't serve many gods. You will serve the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or you will serve your own greed. And so what he says in 1 Timothy is that's drawn some away from the faith, their love for money. Now, how does that get to be idolatry? Well, first of all, understand that having money is not the problem. And not having money is not the problem. You might say, it is for us. <laughs> not having money is, is the problem. But, but the, the problem is on both ends. Because if that ultimate desire is for that money, then that's where that lust, that covetousness comes in. And here's what happens. If you have, what happens that makes us idolaters when that's the case is that the very security that we should have in God, we put in our money. The, the, the warmth, the, the, the beauty of being secure in a God who is going to take care of us and our money takes that place. You know, I've got plenty of money for retirement and, or to pass on to my children or, you know, we're secure, we're set. 
Where is our trust in God at that point? And that's a dangerous place to be. And he warns of that. And so he calls us instead, instead of that love of money, he calls us to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So here's the bottom line. We should not love things. That includes money. Don't love things. Reserve that for God and his people. That's where our love should reside. And then he mentions inappropriate talk. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. So three things. Filthiness, that, that's a word for obscenity. So we're moving here from wrong thinking, which we talked about last week, to wrong speaking, which leads to wrong actions. And they all fit together. And then he used the, word, the phrase foolish talk. The root word there is the, uh, the root where we get the word moron. That gives you an idea what kind of talk that would be. And then crude joking. Here's the bottom line of why that's so destructive, why crude joking is so destructive. It's because it, it makes light or makes fun of that which God has made holy. Do you see how, that, how inappropriate, how destructive that is? God makes something beautiful and holy, and we drag it down. And that's what he cautions against. Now, on all these, filthiness, foolish talking, crude joking, let me ask you a question because this convicted me. Ask yourself, is Jesus laughing? Is Jesus, you know, you can say things that will, that will cause people to laugh and ask yourself, is Jesus laughing? And here's why. This is not to, to spoil our fun or to make us a humorless people. I don't believe that for a minute. You know that about me. I think he gave us humor, and it can be used. There's so many funny things in this life. And I believe Jesus did laugh. And yet, it's got to be within that which glorifies Christ. And there's plenty of that. We don't want to be a stent, a, the stench of a dying world. I think, you know, right humor can be a fragrant offering as well. So after laying out these specific things, then Paul gives a warning about partnering with darkness. Look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. Some of your versions may say, do not become partners with them. And that's the dividing line. (coughs) And that is becoming 
becoming partners. Now, what does that mean? You know, we live in a world where this is all around us. So how are we going to do that? Are, are, are we to gather up our robes so that we're not tainted by, by anyone or anything around us? Matthew Henry said, uh, we partake with other men in their sins, not only when we live in the same sinful manner that they do, in other words, when we do those things, and consent and comply with their temptations and solicitations to sin, but when we encourage them in their sins, prompt them to sin, and do not prevent them or hinder them as far as it may be in our power to do. So the question is, what's, what is the proper reaction when these things are, are going on around us? When, when we are with those who are partaking in the darkness? Well, remember this. Jesus prayed for us, John 17, that we'd be in the world but not of it. So we're in the world. He also called us to be salt and light. And then he showed us, by example, by hanging out with sinners, evidently with gluttons and drunkards because he was accused of being one of them. So evidently he was around them. And yet we know that he didn't partner with them. He didn't, as Paul would say, associate with them. So there is a way to be among them so that we can be salt and light without being dragged into the darkness again. So what should be our attitude then towards folks that are caught up in this or fall into it? Well, remember this. And he's, Paul's just given this warning of, of what their destiny is. So we always want to remember that their greatest need is Christ. Okay? That's their greatest need. Their greatest need is not to clean up their potty mouth. Okay? And sometimes we tend to think that way. It's not their greatest need. There's something deep inside, and that need is for Christ. And then, beyond that, when you see someone living in darkness, know that except for the grace of God in your life, you're looking in a mirror. You know, that's me talking over there. That's me making that joke. That's me falling into that temptation. And what that will do is it will give you compassion for them and it will drive you to worship the Father who has protected you from that. And then, thirdly, we do need to know this. Even though the world doesn't accept this, in fact, they make fun of this view, but what we must do is to separate the sin from the sinner. It is possible to love the sinner and hate the sin. Now, the world out there saying, no, no, you're just hateful. That doesn't have to be the case. We can see the difference if we understand those first two.
points. And we are to walk in love as Christ loved us, Paul said. So in terms of application, I want us to go back to verse 4 because there's a little phrase tucked in here uh, that where Paul doesn't just say, quit doing these things, but he tells them what to replace them with. In verse 4 he says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, here's, the, here's what you replace it with, instead let there be thanksgiving. And we underestimate thanksgiving so much. He's going to hit it again just in a, a few verses uh, further in Ephesians. That's where the sweet smell comes in. Let's look at these, these different areas, basically. How do we look at them with thanksgiving? Sexuality, the world vulgarizes it, jokes about it, makes it their identity. The believer should be thankful and enjoy it as a beautiful, God-given gift in its right context. One man and one woman within marriage, husband and wife. Instead of covetousness, there should be thankfulness. In other words, a contentment with what we have will give us freedom to use our possessions to give others, as, as he said in our passage from last week. That that then becomes our motivation instead of getting more and more and more so I have more security. But instead of contentment with that which he gives and seeing everything we have as a, as a gift from God to be used for his glory. There's thankfulness instead of covetousness. And then speaking. Our words are either a healing gift that can build up and edify, and we can use those words thankfully, or our words will become ugly and tear down and dishonor the giver of the gift. Let me give you an example I heard just this week. And it's, it, it fits because we have Easter next week and Mark gave us a great exhortation in terms of welcoming people. I heard about somebody, and this has been several years back, I just heard about it, somebody visited St. Andrew's on an Easter morning. Somebody recognized them and said something about, oh, you're one of those that just comes on Easter. I'm glad you cringed when you heard that. Now, I'm confident that that person didn't, didn't want to drive him out of the church. I'm, I'm confident that that person wasn't trying to be mean. But think... Because that, that person has used that, and it's just an excuse. They, he's used that to say, ah, well, I don't want to go there then. What difference might it have made? We don't know. But what difference might it have made if instead of getting that as the greeting, 
that same person had said, man, I'm glad to see you. Welcome to St. Andrews. Come on in. You see the difference? It's so small, but it's so profound. May God help us to be imitators of him in our speech, in how we love, in our words of praise and thankfulness. And may he help us to walk in love as Christ loved us. Let's bow together. And we are utterly in need of your precious spirit to indwell us so we can do that, Lord. But will you give us the want to? Will you protect us from those things that are not regarded as thanksgiving, but instead the things that would, would match up better with walking in the darkness? Will you protect us from that? Will you help us to walk in love even as Christ loved us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.